are listening to Ya But, recorded at Crescent Lounge in Seattle, Washington. And here's your host, Vivian Gabor. Hey everybody, welcome to Ya But, the podcast that I, Vivian Gabor, started because I like butts and I want to learn things. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't like butts really though right Seriously. butts are the best thing truth um here in the bar today i love that i get to say the bar instead of in the studio because we don't have a studio it's literally a bar it makes it sound like way cooler on a tuesday morning heck oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> heck yeah um we have Corey dunn who's the director of education at studio east and soon to be the graduate from seattle university's mfa and arts leadership program <laughs> hello hello and then we also have Andrew Koopman, who is the teaching artist training specialist at Studio East, um, has a master, uh, has an, my grammar is perfect this morning, <laughs> has a master of arts from NYU in educational theater with an emphasis in, emphasis, this is going to be a great podcast, <laughs> emphasis in applied theater, and was just accepted, yay, into the MFA in directing at University of Washington. Woohoo! Hi, everyone. Also, Andrew has known me way too long so now. So long. We met in, what, 2009? Yeah. Come on, Stu Boppage. You were in Stu Boppage. <laughs> I was BJTA. That's true. How appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Actually ran across one of those one of those sweatshirts at, at Goodwill, um, yeah. Goodwill the other oh week. Oh, my God. Come on, Whitworth University. <laughs> oh, my Lanta. And I mean, since since they gave their credentials and we're talking about theater today, I may as well give my credentials as well since they're applicable today. I normally yes, wouldn't on here, but um, I not only do I host karaoke and, and shows here at Crescent Lounge in Seattle where we're recording today, um, but I also have my Bachelor of Music, not Bachelor of Arts, but Bachelor of Music, because I'm super specialized um, in classical voice performance from Whitworth University, and then my master's of music in classical voice performance from University of Montana. Two very useful degrees, mm-hmm. but I love them. As a musician, a they're super useful. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just means I have another, like, I don't know, six or seven years worth of education if I want to teach, but it does mean that I have somewhat of a... An idea of what I'm talking about sometimes. You sometimes the shit out <laughs> of anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I wanted you guys to come here today because I wanted to talk a little bit about arts and education, obviously because that's what you two do. Um, but especially currently in our current world because we currently have a president who's trying to defund the National Endowment for the Arts and Let's Humanities and it. all that kind he of stuff. He sucks. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are going there. We're going to say it. Um, I, I looked up the numbers before we started because I wanted to quick throw them out there. So his 2019 budget is a $4.4 trillion budget that eliminates funding to public broadcast television, radio, and theater, and the arts in general. So that defunds PBS, NPR, um, the 150 million that normally goes to the NEA and NEH gone kaput. So, um, I w- just 
some opening statements to get us going. What can I what get a shot of Jameson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that it's it's like a punch in the gut. Those hard facts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we, I mean, we certainly come a long way from from World War II with the National Theater Project that unfortunately only lasted like what a year, two years. Yeah, yeah only a few years before McCarthy shut it down to. People always trying to defund the arts. What is that? Which is amazing because the Federal Theater Project was one of the most successful government-funded art projects because everyone suddenly had full access to theater um, and able to go see shows, and they did interesting stuff. They didn't just do produced work. They did mm-hmm. uh, newspaper theater. They did uh, political theater, and they did uh, social commentary theater. Uh, it was It was full access to the theater arts for all people and we haven't seen something like that since the greek times you know Mm -hmm. when when it was a city-wide shutdown to go to the festival of the arts uh because it was required that everyone go back in greek times to um to the theater the only people who weren't able to go were slaves but (laughs) it was the it was the community (laughs) Uh, come on modern times right but they shut down Some all the shops and all change. the all the uh, businesses and everything shut down so that full families could go and watch Greek Wouldn't theater. it just be a dream for that to be oh my reality God, yes. right now? I wish I had, like, <sighs> this is theater day. Go to a play. Right. Thank you. None of I'm, the other bullshit of life. Just go and enjoy the arts. Right? Provide, like, transportation. Right. Like, rent out Open the bus lines bus. up. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. And just I mean, I've, been, I've had many conversations recently about how expensive the arts in general are to be a patron of. Um, I mean, especially if we get rid of all funding, S- speaking from my knowledge, opera is horribly expensive to go see. It's horribly expensive to produce. Horribly too. expensive <laughs> to produce. It's horribly um, expensive to go to Fifth Ave or Village Theater. Yeah, at this point. honestly. Um, I mean, I, when I was just in New York, I was looking at going to a Broadway show, and yeah, there are the standing room tickets that are 40 bucks, but other than that, like, I really wanted to go see Wicked. The very far back top balcony was $110. Yeah. It's just expensive to do because you have a lot of people that need to be paid, and if there's no understanding from the government about the need for it and the need for the public to have it, then all of that burden of finances falls on the theater itself well i was just in you're just talking about this it just kind of popped into my head that it's kind of a weird flip right because theater we have to pay as artists to rent the space Mm -hmm. to pay each of the actors every time they do the show and the musicians and the designers and and technicians and everybody where Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be amazing if it was flipped like the movies where like movie theaters, they pay to bring in a movie because that movie will bring them money. And then Mm -hmm. they send a part of that money off to the company saying, thanks for letting us air Avengers. It was super popular. We sold out every night. And but we as theater artists, in order to do anything, we have to rent the space or it's self-produced. Oh, yeah. I've run into that a few times in trying to produce new shows here in town that. Like a place might be interested in in funding it originally and then get a couple months into it and all of a sudden it just kind of negotiations fall apart because they realize how expensive it is and so they're like well you can rent the space instead it's like well i don't can't do it sorry can't do that (laughs) (laughs) i can't guarantee salaries at this point (laughs) yeah funding in the arts is 
insane to say the least. I mean, the idea of federal funding being cut is terrifying working in the arts in general. It's, I mean, it means, it it means a lot of nonprofit arts organizations are gone. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. they can't do it. The company I worked with at home back in Missouri, I just moved to Seattle, um, in August and I was in Missouri before that and worked with a small children's theater company in Columbia, Missouri. And without NEA funding, that company won't be able to stay in business. There's Mm -hmm. just not doing the programming that they're currently doing, which is a lot. There's a lot of stuff to be offered in, Mm -hmm. in the realm of children's theater for sure. But, but it, there's no way that 90% of the arts organizations in a town that size, only about a hundred thousand people will be able to survive without federal funding. Well, then you look at what happens when (coughs) funding is cut at theaters, they suddenly have to change their mindset. They're not any longer focused on producing art that's art and creates conversation and creates dynamic opportunities for uh, people from all walks of life. Suddenly now we're focused on what do we need to produce in order to make enough money to survive? To sell Mm -hmm. the tickets, to keep our doors open. I literally had a conversation this morning about uh, a job I had this summer where we don't have high enrollment right now mm-hmm. and there's a possibility they will cancel. Yeah. And the thing is, is if they cancel, I found out this morning is that it would cripple them yeah. as a company. Cause they've, they don't have backup funding. Mm-hmm. They don't have a, Oh wow. We tried something new and it didn't work. Let's right. fix it for next time. If yeah. it doesn't work, they flop. And yeah. that applies to me then because like I get crippled financially if it cancels. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I mean, Along those lines, you also see, like in the opera and the the ballet world and the orchestral world, the artists themselves are getting burnt out because they're having to do the exact same productions over and over and over again because it's what sells. I mean, you get the Nutcracker again, you get Swan Lake again, you get all <laughs> of those again. Whereas there's new works being coming out. I mean, you what? have the Seattle Opera translating everything into English, so you're losing the original languages that the music was set for because it's like people are afraid of change or something or even <laughs> afraid of afraid oh of thinking right <laughs> <laughs> you have uh, to pay attention to this what? what um and so you're you're losing all of the the impact because you're having to do these things that people kind of have already heard in the back of their minds we have to play safe yeah we have we to ha- play safe we have to do the cash cow shows we have to do annie every year because yep. every little <laughs> fucking girl wants to be annie <laughs> so are we allowed to swear yeah, oh uh, absolutely swear. Right. every fucking little girl wants to play annie <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and that shows us yeah you know, um i, I love what are you annie. talking about no i love annie it's a sing-along time it's the sun will come out tomorrow Bet your bottom dollar. Nope, don't bet your bottom dollar. They're gone. Don't do it. All the dollars are gone. All the bottom dollars are gone. Um, (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) Daddy Warbucks ain't funding our theater no more. Dang it. But no, I was I was just talking to someone about how, like, (laughs) there. God damn it. I love Uh, theater people. (laughs) Favorite. They're. Someone didn't believe me that there's still classical orchestral works being written and still operas being written and such. And I was just like, uh, did you slap them? Excuse me. <laughs> like, I'm sorry <laughs> if you haven't heard of Jake Heggie and John Adams and all these composers who literally have published full operas in the last two years. 
then that's because you aren't giving the companies the money to be able to produce those shows. Well, and can you imagine where 10 years now, from now, the same thing happens to theater? They're like, oh, yeah, nothing's been written since Hamilton. Oh, God. Uh, and it's like, wait a second. Hold up. Listen, I love Hamilton, but if we're stuck with it as intensely Please as no. we are right now Please no. for the next 20 years... Uh, I would rather keep Wicked as the next Phantom and not have Hamilton. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, mostly my issue with Hamilton is mostly just its focus on characters. Like, if it was focused on Aaron Burr, I would love the shit out <laughs> of that <laughs> show. It basically is. It is Aaron Burr's story. I mean, but it's still called Hamilton, and people who don't necessarily understand that history are starting to, like... And that's honestly most of America is starting to be like, oh, Alexander Hamilton was this great person. It's like, right. no, he was the mm -hmm. Trump of his era. I'm sorry. He yeah. was a terrible person. <laughs> I, I personally love Hamilton. But it's a um, well-written show. I love it's the a show. It's show. beautiful. I'm still a little bit bitter about the, the whole show because I had, when I was in my master's program at NYU, it had just started. Oh. And it was at the public theater. So it hadn't gone to oh Broadway yet. Yes. And it was, so the public theater is literally across the street from NYU. Right. And uh, during finals week, one of my friends was like, oh, I have a spare ticket to this new show called, like, Hamilton, I think. Oh. Do you want to come? And I said no, like a dumb motherfucker. You <laughs> I will fucking idiot. Regret I will. That. I will forever regret. Well, I, the first time I was in New York was in 2003, and the full original cast for Wicked was still there, and we stayed in the hotel across the street from it, and we didn't go. Uh, I would and have whored myself out on the street forever, corner for right? tickets to that. Like right. <laughs> I also just had a friend who went to opening night of Angels in America because they just reopened yes. it on Broadway. And the cast is supposed to be... It's like Andrew Garfield. Inc Insane. Yeah, incredibly yeah. great. Totally crazy. Um, and he got on um, Facebook Live right afterwards and was like, I just met RuPaul. Shut up. I don't up. know what to do with myself. It was like, <laughs> I just met this person. I just met this person. It was like in tears and couldn't talk. And I was just like, I wish I could have been there. But that's like... That's something that's hard to convey to a non-theater person. Yes. I mean, bringing it back into the discussion, like, there's so many people in the country who don't have that exposure. So when we're here geeking out about theater and geeking out about shows and operas and ballets and such, so many people in the U.S., which is probably why funding, they're looking at defunding it, because so many people don't understand and haven't been around it and haven't been exposed to it Absolutely. correctly. I mean... Opera is well, always that and the like, performing fat arts person are, singing. And it's not film. It's not yeah. recorded. It's You can't relive that. You can't share yeah. that story over and over and over again for the rest of time. Fun, it is fact, fun fact, the NYU Public Library has recordings of all the original cast shows on Broadway. <sighs> you can go watch them. What? It's brilliant. Yeah. I'm doing You're that right now. You, you can't check them out, but you, you can go into this room. They'll load it onto a computer. You can watch it, I think, max like three times, and then you're never allowed to watch that show again. That is a fun fact. Oh, my right. God. I watched, I watched the original Buying plane tickets. Eurydice, and I just <sighs> Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. I want to see the original production of Equus. Thank you very much. I I love Are that play. Are we surprised? <laughs> I love that play. Come on, ho stick. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but but purely like psychologically speaking, and the the yeah. that oh that show is so yeah. good. Oh, that's hilarious. I fell in love with it in college when we were forced to read it, and no one else liked it, and I was just sitting there like geeking out the entire time. Yeah. As um what shoot what was his name? 
Daniel Radcliffe? No, the professor that taught. Oh, no, Daniel Radcliffe did not teach Cor- at our school. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. Um, oh, shoot. What was his name? Really tall guy wore glasses on the Oh, Leonard Oakland. Yes, Leonard Oakland. Listening to him talk about Equus was like made life yeah. good. Yeah. I'm so, so I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, I agree. We can't, and even though they have recorded versions, you can see the original cast. There's the magic's not there because there's it's not the same. It's, it's not, not the same, the same on film as it is live yeah. in person. There's a different kind of. It's more of a study of how they acted it rather than the connection of actually living it. Absolutely, and that human connection is like literally the only thing we like: water, sunlight, air. We need those things, of course, but that human connection is the only other thing that we desperately need yeah. as human beings. And to be able to have experience that kind of connection on stage, hearing somebody else's story is it's a magical and beautiful. Mm-hmm. I ain't preaching oh a yeah, choir they, in this they room. Just, um, they just did a study. They released a study that showed that um, being single will kill you faster than being obese. And it's because that human connection human is connection. so necessary. Hug your friends, people. Hug your hug friends. Your Everyone friends. needs seven hugs a day. Save a life. Hug a friend or a stranger. <laughs> I mean, make sure there there's no stranger danger. Ask for consent. <laughs> Ask, for, Ask consent for consent and then get a hug. Make sure they're not wielding a knife. <laughs> I then mean, hug a yeah. stranger. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> or a gun, I mean. We won't go into that, though. Yeah. It's a whole different episode. <laughs> a whole different thing. <laughs> we'll Coming get next there. week on, yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> not yet. Um, so I, d- I just want to hear a little bit about. So I know Andrew really well, so I'll come back to you. <laughs> I'm going to go get me a donut. <laughs> do it. Um, Corey, I want you to tell me a little bit about specifically what you do. Yeah. And your job and and how you're kind of working to combat some of those things in yeah. your community. Um, well, I'm the education director at Studio East, as we said earlier. So uh, it's a new role for me. I've only been there for about a month. Oh, and um, Studio East is a? Studio East is a children's theater training program in Kirkland, Washington, just east of Seattle. Um I know. Studio Andrew's showing East. off his shirt like, that has the logo on it. Uh, Good job. <laughs> I don't even have any swag yet. I, need <gasps> I to still g- have mine from need to get ago. some studio <laughs> swag. Um, but most of my job is, is um, overseeing all of the education programming that we offer. So we do theater classes after school for homeschool students. We do outreach programs that are in a lot of the schools in the Kirkland, uh, Lake Washington area. Um we do Saturday intensive courses of study with kids who are interested in really gaining some solid skills and potentially making a life out of performing arts. Um, what am I missing? The studio also we produce, does. We produce shows. Yeah, in full schools. productions. We do in school productions and we do productions in our space um, in Kirkland. We also have Storybook Theater, which is um, a, a, a professional actors performing. Uh, theater for young audiences uh, for schools, often their first experience with theater and mm-hmm. exposing them to what is theater and how to be yeah. a good audience member. Yeah. There's such a thing as being a good audience member. What? 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 I know. Not talking during a performance. It's just not ha- like turning your phone off, putting it away. We could have a unplugging. whole podcast. That's oh, yeah. a whole hour at I least. I mean, quick side note, that was one thing that was the hardest for me to get over when I transferred from like formal theater to drag 
was the whole like people in the audience not necessarily paying attention to you and right, like right, right. we're at a bar they're right. on their phones they're drinking they're <laughs> talking to each other and like learning that you have to that like immediate command of respect and attention isn't there anymore so you have to work even harder for and it and the level of so interaction between audience and performer in oh, the yeah. drag world too is a very different I've started to realize that I prefer shows that break the fourth wall now just oh, because of that absolutely that's why children's theater is so much fun because mm-hmm. you get to like literally crawl over children in the audience <laughs> and throw things you at are them. in the show now <laughs> you're welcome here you go I did a show one time where we threw a bucket full of confetti Oh my Confetti God. cannons galore. But I would like I would standing on top of a child, dumping a bucket full of confetti on them. Happiest face I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and then the parents just like, oh, shit. Oh, oh shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, in my role, I am I'm overseeing all of the education programming. So I'm hiring teaching artists. We're um, training, training our artists and kind of developing um, a voice and a product that's unique to Studio East because there are a lot of other organizations in mm-hmm. the area that are that are doing theater with young people um we're developing curriculum i my bachelor's degree is in theater education so i have a lot of experience with state education standards um so connecting i want to connect what we're doing in the studio that is not limited by limited is not the right word but not tied to um, state standards and actually pull the state standards into what we're doing to communicate to the education realm a little bit more um, the value of what we do and what hmm. the product is that we um, produce and present. Well, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, and please expound on this, but it seems yeah, yeah. to me like Washington State in general is a pretty good state in terms of the arts and appreciation from the government itself. I mean, we're, we're yes. shit-talking the national government a lot, which is <laughs> very needed. But I, I think pulling it in also and talking a little bit about our state and local government is is a good... Yeah, and I think, I think Washington is better than a lot of places for mm-hmm. sure on the whole. But I think also that's partially because it's so good in and around Seattle. Yeah. Um, the city of Seattle and King County are really... I mean, they understand that this is an art arts town oh, yeah. um, and has been historically so they're they're on board and they're great and super supportive um and the whole the community in general is super supportive of the arts yeah. um and we're super lucky to have companies like the bill and Ga- uh, bill and melinda gates foundation absolutely yeah, oh, they do like there's there's a lot of local seattle support i wouldn't say washington is uh, overall good because i worked yeah. in spokane for a while yeah and it wasn't as strongly yeah. supported. Yeah. Okay. Well, there is a lot of state funding, yes. but most of the state funding is centralized in the Seattle greater area, yeah. which is because the ma- I mean, vast majority yeah. of the population is in the in I mean, the greater I Seattle area up, too. So, like idolizing Roosevelt High School and Garfield High School for their arts programs. Yeah. I remember there was one year I was in. I think I was just about to hit high school, and I went to the state thespian society convention and they were doing the works in progress um and roosevelt high school was doing beauty and the beast at that point and they had only staged one of their numbers so they did that one and then they just stood there and performed be our guest and i was just like fuck you (laughs) (laughs) because they were so good just standing there i mean that was right (laughs) and they i mean that was back when they had um Ruben Van Kempen is their mm. their director, and he was an incredible, 
incredible theater director. But is he still working? Is he? Yeah. Cool. Good. That's necessary. <laughs> um, Gotta keep the good ones around. But um, what what is it? Do you think, especially as someone who just moved to Seattle, yeah, having a fresh perspective on it, what is it about this area that that you think fosters that? The creative that appreciation. Creative, yeah. Um, that's a really good question. I don't. I think a lot of it is just that because it's a long-standing mm-hmm. tradition. As a as a newcomer, I can feel that that it's always been of value in the area. Um, so fostering something that's already in existence is a lot easier than kind of True. building something from scratch. I also think we live in a community where diversity and differences are celebrated rather than competitive yes. <coughs> uh, for the most part. Because I look at theater communities that I've worked in in my past, and they're all trying to do what each other are doing but do it better. And I look at the Seattle yeah. theater community. It doesn't feel competitive right, in the we, same way. They all way. know what they're good at. Mm-hmm. And they stick to what they're good at. Yeah. And they let everyone else do their own thing. They don't try to work each other niches. You know, like Fifth Avenue is good at bringing in the big blockbuster musicals that are local mm-hmm. talent. And the Paramount brings in the tours. And Village produces original work. And yeah. um, even like Seattle Musical Theater does the cash cow shows, you know. Yeah. It's, I, I feel like everyone, and even within the children's theater, like Studio East doesn't try to do what Village is doing, which doesn't try to do what Seattle Children's is doing. Well, and I, I've right. even noticed like multiple companies will sometimes do the same show within mm-hmm. a year, but it's never, they, it never feels like they're competing for the audience somehow. Um, and maybe that's just population wise or whatever, but. Um, in they children's all, theater or specifically? or uh, Yeah, specifically in oh, children's yeah. theater. Like you'll see like. Oh, this person's doing Annie, and then like two more companies will announce they're doing Annie the yeah. same year. But it never feels like they're doing it to one up each other. It's just different takes on the same show. Yes, absolutely. In a city this size, and with the number of programs that are available, um, primarily it's location based in terms of attendance. Whatever is closest to you and the most easily physically mm. accessible. Um, is most likely where where you're gonna go and where you're gonna support um, the the youth theater in in your area. Um, I mean, where I was back at home, we had three children's theaters in a hundred thousand population town. Oh my gosh! It was <laughs> bananas, and they all branched off of one. They all. S- it's all it was all some, was somebody political. got in a fight and left mm-hmm. and then somebody got in a fight and left and it was very political and it was very dramatic that sounds and like a couple other cities we've lived in uh you know but <laughs> small town uh, small town arts world it you know yep. it, and in a town of that size you've only got a hundred thousand people in the whole town everybody is pulling for the same people mm-hmm. coming to come and see their shows so we were always tried to be strategic about scheduling things that didn't conflict with the high school's pr- productions mm-hmm. because if they were in tech week, there's no way we were getting any kids to come and be in our shows or yeah. any of their families to even come and see our shows. Yeah. So you have to be really conscious of things like that. And it's in a smaller community, but up here there's a lot more people to, a lot more people to choose from bigger, bigger pond. Yeah. A lot bigger Lots more pond. fish. I mean, I remember having that problem over in Montana and Missoula, like, there was one children's theater, but then you also had the college and you had the the high schools and the whole town is only like, what, 40 to 60,000. Like yeah. in the summer, the, the yeah. town empties because the college is out. Yeah. That's how my hometown was too. Was yeah. University of Missouri is in Columbia. So 
So you always are, are battling in Seattle. You definitely don't have to do that. I, I mean, even within the bar community, um, that was a weird way of saying that. I've never said that before. But like, <laughs> it's just like, especially on the Hill, we have, I don't know, six or seven gay bars within X amount of space. And yeah, there's a certain amount of, of competition in terms of, oh, there are three shows that happen on Friday night. So which one are people going to go to? Right. How are you going to make it different so people want to go to this the one instead of that all one? All of them. Right. <laughs> well, that's the Listen. thing is you realize like what time you have to put, put things so that someone can go to yours and then go to the next one and then go to the next one. But that doesn't always happen. And then you have the whole like changing the time of parking thing to 10 p.m. So now no one goes out until like 11. Uh. So. Um, so it's a, it's this weird little microcosm that I've yeah. started to notice, but. It's definitely nice to have a larger pool of people to pull from. Oh, yes, absolutely. And then, so you're starting the MFA program at UW. I am. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Which, tell people why that's such a big deal. Because uh, I want people to be excited for <laughs> <you>. <laughs> uh, So the University of Washington has uh, an MFA in design, an MFA in acting, and an MFA in directing. Um, and as someone who's a passionate director, I applied for the MFA in directing, which I applied to back in 2012, right before we graduated from Whitworth. Dun -dun. Um, and I didn't make it past the first round <laughs> because I was a stupid little child who was like, I have a BA. I could take over the world. <laughs> Don't we all feel that way? We that all point, feel that way when we graduate. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I have a BM. Um, I could go do this and be exciting and international. Yeah. And then you try I to do your first thing and hit the ground. Yeah. And your so it's a big deal because the practical University of Washington. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the University of Washington only accepts two MFA candidates in directing every other year. Oh um, so there's only two people that got accepted, about three to four hundred applicants, and it was like one of the most intense interview processes I've ever been through in my life. Bananas. Um, and to be selected as one of the two uh, to go spend three years focusing on directing is amazing. I feel very lucky and. September has never seemed so far away. <laughs> I'm excited and terrified. That's oh how I God. felt when I was moving up here. Yeah. I knew in December that I was coming and I didn't tell anybody until June and I left Missouri at the end of July. And I was like, that's how I'm feeling about New York right uh, now. Yeah. It's just like, I want to move there right yeah, the yeah. second. Go, so many opportunities. Can never just, be more ready just for something it. new. You're always ready for something new. Yeah. Especially in theater because we move so fast and like you have like, you're used to that like month of rehearsals, performance, month of rehearsals, performance. So when you're just in one place for a long period of time, you're just like, yeah, I need Restless. something new right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm starting that this fall and very excited. It'll be my second master's degree and Woo. yeah. Um, so yeah. Why go for a second master's? Uh, Since we're talking about education sure. and theater, that yeah. I mean, that's a... So I want to direct professionally and it's hard to get in the door at professional theaters without an MFA uh, because it's a more it's what's known as a terminal degree which means there's not really a way to go above an MFA. Mm -hmm. There are PhDs but it's a different focus and MFA is more steeped in practice and uh, mm -hmm. theoretical knowledge where a PhD and an MA are typically uh, steeped mm -hmm. in academic research, yeah. research and um, and creating new things and MFAs create new things too but it's practice versus 
academic. Yeah. And so for me, I don't, for me, my life goal is not to be a college professor. And so going in the MFA route makes more sense. I have an MA in educational theater with it, with a focus in applied theater because um, it opens a lot of doors for me to do my teaching artist work. Uh, I got that MA through my applications out all over here in Seattle and l- like almost every theater community, it, every theater I applied to called me and was like, we want to interview you. And it's because- mm-hmm. Gobble you up. Yeah. Because yep. the second you put MA in educational theater with an emphasis in applied yep. theater from NYU, it's like, yeah. hello. Oh, Listen, yeah. anybody, any arts organization that has an education program is always looking for teaching artists. So if you're bored and you're qualified, <laughs> call us. Yeah, she was hitting me up earlier before I we did, started I recording. Said, <laughs> so you want to just let me know if you ever want to come back and teach for us again? Yeah, I mean, I was given the I was given the, that option when I went for my master's because it was a very last minute thing. I wasn't okay. even planning on getting my master's, um, and then University of Montana called my advisor at Whitworth and was like, "We need someone for our assistantship now." Mm-hmm send someone over we want a baritone do it <laughs> and he he opened the email in my lesson looked at me was like guess what you're doing this weekend <laughs> send me over and um did the interview process everything happened in a week it was just all boom boom done um and then they looked at me once the paperwork is done and everything they looked at me and like so do you want to get we see that you do a lot of musical theater and a lot of classical which do you prefer do you want to get a master's in musical theater or a master's in opera and I was like, well, what's the difference, really? They were like, well, one is an MFA, and it's a terminal. So um, if you do musical theater, that's it. Like, you don't yeah. go any farther than that. If you want to do opera, that's an MM. You can get other degrees after that, and you can get a doctorate. And me being homeschooled and a nerd and loving libraries <laughs> more than people, I was like, ooh, I want to go the direction of getting the doctorate. Well, you were always going to do that. I mean, I mean even uh, yeah, going it was to at school some with point, you, yeah. I knew you were going to be a doctor of, like, opera. Well, I also come from a long family of, of doctorates, so there's yeah. kind of this pressure in the back of my mind. Even if we're not on the best of terms right now, there's that pressure of being like, you need to do this. You need to do this. Um, I was the and first it's, one it's in not my necessarily family to do the M.A. Yeah, all, yeah. So. way to go. Yeah. Um, but now I'm the I'm same way. My not the mama, as we call her, my mom's partner, um, went straight from nursing school into law school into her PhD in yeah counseling psychology. So she was getting her PhD when I was in elementary, middle school, and I'm like, oh wow. And it's been not so much you have to do this, but just leading by example of like continuing education mm-hmm. is great to keep it going to school well and especially now yeah the the higher degrees don't mean quite as much right. which means that the even higher degrees start meaning more right um which is why like with the degree i have now i could never be a professor i mean i could but it'd be very very difficult with mm with yeah. an mm be at a community because school, well it'd where, be at a community that's where I taught, where yeah I, it'd be at a community college because it, they want most universities want you to have the degree above what you're teaching mm-hmm so in order for me to teach master's students, which most music programs have a master's somewhere in there, I would have to have my PhD, which I applied for and was barely turned down for. And they were like, we want you to have an MA. So I'll be in the same boat soon, <laughs> getting my second master's before you want the mine? PhD. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. They I want know. you to have an MA to go get a PhD in music? That's musicology. Typical. Oh, um, musicology. Because, well, because okay. my degree is an MM. It's a practical degree. Right, right, right. Degree. It's practical. 
And, I'm with you. And the PhD is a research base, so mm-hmm. they want me to have that research-based MA. Specifically, their stipulation was since m- I already had the music side of things, I wanted to study gender expression in music. Excellent. So they wanted me to have an MA in gender and women's studies first, which makes total sense. Yeah. Um, and then I'll have both sides of it, and I can go on to do the PhD work. But Listen, just as kind of an I'm explana- super excited about that whole progression for you. So <laughs> that sounds just awesome. as kind of an ex- explanation <laughs> of how much goes into the arts. Going back to the mm, realizing we're yeah. on a, a podcast, like just as an explanation of we're not we aren't people that necessarily are like ooh arts are great, just do arts. We're we're people that have, are coming from this place of realizing how much extensive work goes into the arts on all levels in all aspects of it um, and realizing how little that's being valued right now. Um, I mean, we kind of touched on it, but I mean, in theater, you have your directors, you have your producers, you have your actors, you have your orchestra pit, you have your conductor, you have designers, you have advertising, you have all of these aspects and it really, the mm, the arts are life. <laughs> <laughs> if we're going there, yeah. I I mean, if we're gonna go there, we I something I really wanted to talk about when you yeah. asked me to do this podcast is how important the arts are in schools and for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's because I mean, like, and we hear this all the time, but I don't think we ever unpack it. Right. That, that theater is is empathy. You know, theater mm-hmm. is the pathway to empathy, which is what. Uh, like you said at the podca- uh, beginning of the podcast, is like we look at our current society and the complete lack of empathy there Both is. Both yeah. social and political climate. Right. It's yeah, bananas. It's unreal. And it's like I almost wanted to just go to people and be like, go to theater. You'll understand us more. <laughs> and, I wa- <laughs> and I want I want to create art. Like that's one of the things I talked about in my mm-hmm. application was I want to be able to create art that inspires conversation um, that helps create bridges that helps mm-hmm. encourage um, that life is more than just about n- numero uno. It's mm-hmm. about how do we appreciate what other people do in their journeys and why they're making the decisions that mm-hmm. they're making and how can theater be a tool to expose that and bring people closer rather than divide them. Absolutely. Well, and you, I mean, the, the deeper you dive into it, the more you're able to also be able to that was a really roundabout way of saying that the, the more you're able to kind of read a situation all the more easily and quicker and be able to look at someone and see, I've seen people like you, I've played people like you in shows over and over and over again. So I see the progression of where this is going, which is why I think a lot of people in the arts community when 2016 election was happening, were like, listen to us. We understand what's happening here because we've kind of lived all of those lives hundreds of times over in these shows and through books and all of these things and we've been able to see we were able to see very quickly the progression of that logic rather than people who aren't necessarily steeped in that my mom posted on facebook last night who is not a theater person only by proxy is she a theater person because she is the most supportive and amazing human being on the planet and has seen every performance of everything i've ever done um but she posted on Facebook last night something about um, are we surprised that the March for Our Lives movement is being led by a bunch of theater kids? And I'm yeah. like, 
No, not even I'm remotely. Yeah. <laughs> Let it, for us, no, that makes complete sense. Oh yeah. And Who else would be doing it? <laughs> exactly. And J.K. Rowling even tweeted about it. I mean, a month ago or yeah. so. It was right after the shooting and. Um, said, are we really surprised as teenagers that are rising up? We've been telling them through our literature Hi, for Hunger decades Games, that it's their Harry job. Potter. <laughs> Listen, it is. Divergent, Maze Runner, just millennium. Ones. It goes the back to Victorian were, England. We're raised were, yeah. to fight the man at this point. And now Everything they're finally we've doing learned. it. In fact, the um, March for Lies protest in Washington, D.C. was the largest single-day protest in D.C. history. Wow, it was? Bigger than the Women's March uh-huh. last year? Incredible. I had to know that. If you look at the numbers of who showed up, <laughs> Trump's inauguration was right. the most welcome to, to end an event since prehistoric times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was the funny part was I saw a picture of the of inauguration versus the yeah. March for Our Lives. You couldn't even move. Like, I would love to see a, a side-by-side of the, the I Have a Dream speech crowd. Yeah. Versus the March for Our Lives crowd, because it's probably pretty comparable. Dang. And it's just crazy yeah. and amazing. I'm, it makes me so happy as as a former theater kid who only felt empowered in the theater and didn't think I could have that kind of impact outside of it. So exciting for me to see kids that age who do feel that power now. I, and for me, that speaks so much to their educators, too. Mm-hmm. Like the, mm-hmm. the theater Absolutely. teacher in that high school. Holy crap. All of the respect and props and everything like. Oh, yeah. You've been doing something right in that community by by raising those kids to. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I mean, there was the whole like lashback movement of the the walk up, not out thing of, well, maybe if you just went up to the kids, it's like, well, I mean, technically the ones who are standing up right now are those kids who are, are the yeah. shunned ones. So, I mean, be, Hi, we watched Glee, kids, right? We're That's the ones real life. eating our lunch by ourselves, <laughs> not the like kid who's going to go in with the gun. Right. It's the ones who are now standing up and being like, we've been training for this. Let's for confirm this. that mic. <laughs> Give it to me. I'm yeah. not going to drop it like an idiot. I'm going <laughs> to hold it appropriately. Or even like there was the, the I'm girl command in the DC, audience <laughs> in D.C. who got on the stage and just had to throw up. Yeah. And then stopped her up speech, and was like, threw up good. and Let's came back. This. I just kept yep. going. It was so I mean, I wouldn't even even what had that champ. fortitude. What a champ. This is what theater does. Well, yeah, we look at and we look at theater groups in schools right now. Yeah. And like, I mean, I can't speak for every theater group and every school in across the country, but I feel like since Glee and even before then, we saw mm-hmm. a rise where the theater community became a family. Yeah. Became a place to welcome and to love mm-hmm. rather than a place that was like, you're popular, you're not you deserve this you don't deserve that i mean i so i teach at village as well mm-hmm. and um i have one student in my class who has come out as uh, gender non-binary mm-hmm. um and they uh, they have changed their pronouns to he um where where he used to be she and changed their name but has only done that within our class Mm. Because that is the beginning of her journey. Yeah. That's yeah. where she felt safest. Uh, he felt safest. I'm so sorry. He felt safest. And he even asked us, like, do not talk about this in front of my parents, please. Yeah. Because I'm not ready for that conversation. It's, it's a safe space. I remember, I mean, I had a, l- I don't know your background. I had a little different background than you because I was homeschooled all the way through high school. Um, and the theater kids in homeschool are, were the, the popular kids. It sounds weird. 
Oh, I believe it. But totally we were, believe we were it. the A crowd, the, <laughs> the choir kids and the, the theater kids, because we were the, the most liberal yeah. out of all of them, as it were. Like, we were able to get away with the most because our parents were around a lot less. Um, <laughs> instead of, mom is right there at your shoulder Great. all day, every day. We had the, like, two hours where we didn't have that. <laughs> Soccer moms and theater moms are so different. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, Homeschool moms are dance moms. Oh, yeah. Yes, That's a really are. good correlation. Oh, there. they very much are. I remember <laughs> going to the co-op or and like needing moms. to go da- to the yeah. bathroom on like an off period and like walking out the, out of the room and down the hallway and having some random mom I didn't know be like, what are you doing out of your classroom? Listen. Um, I'm not your child. It doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> not your responsibility, honey. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I within that, I like, believe you said that to her as like a I sassy didn't, seven-year-old. I didn't though. I, know, I was a scaredest I, I, little I seven-year-old. I was like, I'm sorry, I'll hold it. I picture Vivian <laughs> as like a seven-year-old. Yeah, it's everything. She is a seven-year-old, really. Um, <laughs> Who likes butts? All of the butts, <laughs> uh, as many as I can get my hands on, literally. Um, but I mean, the theater. For the homeschoolers, very much was that. Um, and I love that it's kind of expanding into outside of that and becoming more of a family everywhere. Um, because we were so sheltered outside of the theater group that when we got together, we were able to talk about those things that we didn't know about. Like, I never had the talk with my parents. I learned all of that stuff from my theater friends. Right. And if it hadn't been for them, I wouldn't have even known what being gay was. So... Theater is important. It's like the movie Camp that we all grew up with. I haven't seen it. What? Ugh. We've officially been disowned. There are a lot of things I haven't this seen yet. This is the Anna Kendrick one, I, right? How can you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's everything. It's she sings. brilliant. Um, she sings. Wait, what? What's that song from Company? From Company. Uh, I'll Being drink alive? to that. Yeah. No. no. Ladies who lunch. Here's ladies to the who ladies who She lunch. sings it after she brilliant. had Brilliant. Like, Tanya Harding, the other. Yeah. <laughs> the she other totally queen. Tanya Harding. <laughs> 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 the other theater girl uh, and she comes so out good. and sings I'll drink to that as a sassy 17 year old and you live for it yes. yes Anna Kendrick is my spirit animal I love Anna yeah. Kendrick brilliant Just I wish she did brilliant. more talk about like a true theater success story though right like she started in theater she did the Broadway thing then went on to do movies and then now she is like the go to person for movie musicals yeah right. oh yeah last five years Brilliant. brilliant i've never seen the stage version but the movie oh my god it's hard to pull off on stage but that on film it did well uh, that opening number not to mention the two of them uh, are just beautiful together I, I just i will never get over listening to anna kendrick singing still hurting yeah it makes me ball my eyes out every such single such a time. good song i i and i know you and i have disagreed on this but i love her cinderella in into the woods oh my god me too the re- <laughs> So I did for all the listeners. For all the listeners out there, (laughs) Vivian and I have gone to school together since 2009. Have known each other for a long while. (laughs) Vivian hated me. Hated me in senior year. Um, I mean, to be fair, I hated everyone. But that, was be- <laughs> that was because everyone hated me because I was a shit. Yeah. I was an awful person. Then we moved to Seattle <laughs> at the same time, lived together for a brief period of time. <laughs> that exploded because best friends. Hashtag yeah. best friends. Hashtag. And then we're still friends and it's all good. And But we've talked about musical theater stuff. I just finished directing Into the Woods at yeah, Studio yeah, East. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, we, we're going it's, into our closing weekend. 
and such a good show. Vivi and I have had many, many a debate. Well, because I music directed that show at Ballyhoo Theater. Yeah. And so you and I have been on on the same side and on different sides of it. Of everything. Of and my problem with that show is I always want to do it as true to Sondheim's original vision as possible, which you can't do it with kids. Like you can't because his the whole yeah. show is about sex to him, and right. you just you can't dive that deep into it with kids because that's just not appropriate. But my whole thing with Cinderella was Anna Kendrick did a very good job. Um, I I'm not I wouldn't fault her on her choices because I mean Sondheim was sitting there telling her what to do. And it's also the Disney. <laughs> so I mean, it's, and it's also the Disney, Disney version. Yeah, it's I just Disney have a very, I have a very specific idea of that character in my mind, and she did not hit any of those notes. Fair. My so I was sitting there going, yeah. did but you see it yet? why aren't you stupid? I saw mine. the younger cast. You haven't seen mine yet? No, I'm coming this Good. weekend. <laughs> I was going to come on Saturday, Friday. but I just slept all day. I had that was me Gala on Saturday. On 23 Sunday. hours of Saturday. sleep. Mine's on Friday. Yeah. And okay. I adore my Cinderella. She walks that line of smart and curious at the same time mm-hmm. very finely. And she's her character is nuanced. See, that's the thing is you think of Cinderella as being curious. I think of her as just being flat out stupid as shit. See, I don't think she's dumb. <laughs> I, can't, I can't buy into a Cinderella story where she's dumb. Yeah. But that's what I loved about it was she's like the, the character that you. And this is why theater is important, because you get to explore these different things with the same character. Right. Um, I just see her as this character of like. I'm, I mean, I'm overlaying myself onto her a lot, but she's this, like, you You see her and you're like, this is the person I'm supposed to be rooting for the strongest in the show. And if she's the one who fails the hardest, which she does because she's the only one at the end of the finale who's still like, I wish she which doesn't is, learn her lesson. Which is interesting because I, I view it differently. I view it as she is the only one who got to specifically choose the outcome. Because you look at the other four people and everyone else loses what they wished for, basically. Except for her. She's the only one that made a conscious choice to say goodbye to the prince. She gave right. him the she greatest him gift. By choice. Right. right. She gave him the yeah. greatest gift he, she could give him. By He can't commit to a relationship that is single. You know, He can't commit to a, 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 close, a monogamous yeah. relationship. He needs someone who's okay mm-hmm, with it. Mm-hmm, if she's yeah. not. And so yeah. the greatest gift she gave was say, tell everyone I died and go live your life. And she was the only one that I mean, she definitely that. has character development. I'm right. not saying that. Well, no, no, no. But she also is the only one that chooses it because Little Red loses Granny and everything. Baker loses his wife. Who's Jack the best loses character? his mom. Yeah, but like, did Jack really want to keep his mom? Yes. Yeah. They I don't think so. Because, I mean, if you're looking at Sondheim and the overall archetypes that he puts in his shows... Jack's mother was the one who was going to die from the very beginning. And Jack was the one who was being freed by that death. And that's just, that's on time shows. He always has the overbearing mother that eventually gets gotten See, rid I of. I look at that as the step family. I yeah, feel like that's I the agree. step family. Hmm. Interesting. This is, oh, I love, I love this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We're so nerding out right oh now. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Ya Bot with Vivian Gabor. Tune in next week, same place, same time. Yeah.